0: I often say that addiction is the result of not knowing how to find safety inside of yourself. So you find it in something else and understandably you get hooked on it because you're desperate for safety. That's all you're guilty of. Any of you looking to learn more about supporting addiction recovery through a trauma-informed and somatic lens and a nutritional lens, please join me for my Addiction Circle. This is a bi-monthly, entirely free, virtual circle that I invite anyone here to come and join if they want more information. Addiction tends to be so steeped in shame, and I find that doing this work in a community of people helps to destigmatize that shame so you can see how not alone you are in the experience. So whether you are personally withdrawing, preventing, experiencing relapse, or you work with people who are actively addicted or in recovery, all are welcome. The next addiction circle is Tuesday, July 2nd at 4 p.m. EDT. This meeting is not recorded for the sake of anonymity. No registration is necessary. Just join through the link below. On today's episode, I speak with Martha Beck, a brilliant, renowned sociologist and life coach who talks about integrity and fawning.
1: And the biggest thing that drives people to, to almost to despair it is a loss of a sense of purpose. My life doesn't have any meaning for me because the moment you give up your own integrity to fallen on another person, you've lost the sense of truth at your core, which contains instructions to living your purpose.
0: Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we discuss every aspect of life through the lens of somatic psychology, nutrition, and self-inquiry. My name is Luis Mojica, and I'm a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety inside themselves so they can better navigate this strange and sensational human experience. Your time to learn begins now. I'm so thrilled to welcome to the podcast, Martha Beck. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. So um I'm trying to think how to begin. Uh I'll begin by saying that I'm I'm fairly new to you. Um, <laughs> a couple years ago, uh, my wife is not new to you. She adores you. <laughs> so I've heard you coming through her like body over the years.
1: Uh-
0: <laughs> um and then yeah. I actually found you about five or six years ago with um a series I think you did with Byron Katie or some kind of interview. Oh, yeah, yeah, by...
1: yeah. We and that's fighting. what I was
0: really yeah. moved by you. um oh, just things you were so saying, nice. and yeah, like you're, you just your your presence felt really familiar. And oh, I thought thank I need you. to look into your this movies? person, yeah. And then a client actually, I think it was two years ago sent me an interview around the integrity work, the integrity cleanse you yeah. we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have got to meet this woman someday. So I'm, oh. so ex- I'm so excited it's happening. Uh, I, I just, I don't even know where to begin because there's so much I want to ask you. Uh, so in. should we just dive? I love diving.
1: Uh, dive anywhere. Okay. great.
0: I love that. I love diving. So the first thing that excites me. I'm a somatic therapist and a lot of the work that I do a piece of the work I do I should say is about the fawning response. Oh Um, yeah. I love
1: that. I got that from you and I've been stealing it and using it.
0: Good. All over the land. Every time time I read The Way of Integrity or I hear you speak about it, I'm like fawning, fawning, fawning. It's like the book on fawning. It is. Can we start there? Tell me about it. Tell us about it.
1: Well, I'm just going to keep plugging you to yourself because this was such a brilliant thing to realize. People had told me, okay, you've got fight or flight, but then you've also got faint and freeze. Then someone threw in flop, which is a lot like faint, let's be honest. It's a faint, yeah. But uh, I was listening to one of your podcasts and you talked about another um, fear response, which is fawning, which is so fascinating to me because it is a biologically programmed facet of a social primate. Like, I guess other animals fawn, dogs do it. Mm -hmm. They all do it. But um, with apes, especially, we are just programmed to get our heads down and groom the superior ape or whatever, or or get ourselves bitten hard on the head. And I've spent my whole life getting triggered into a fawning response. It is a mind-blowingly liberating concept, which I got completely from you. And I just have to thank you for it. And well, that's it,
0: amazing. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, it helps me not fawn so much. It's really helped to have it as a concept. And it's helped my clients. I mean, that is a did you make that up?
0: No, I wish. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've popularized it by the way. I talk about it. But no, it, it's existed, but no one really goes into it. Um, into how pervasive it is. And it happens so everywhere. All and it's socially rewarded. I mean, yeah. my identity was fawning. It's all I did well, for like 30 years. <laughs> it's like how I lived, years. right? Yeah. Uh,
1: and it leads to like a, a spider's nest of resentment and unexpressed feelings yes. when, when you get, because I hung around with fawners too. Everybody was fawning with everybody else.
0: Yes.
1: And yes. I've been around, I, I've been around narcissists who love to gather a whole courtyard of fauners and they a just gaggle sort of,
0: of fauners. Yeah, yeah they're
1: sort of um energy vampires that just suck in the narcissistic supply and all the fauners think this is great
0: <laughs> it's the perfect trauma bond i will like a colleague of mine should would call it covert narcissism is the fauner but uh-huh. it's like this uh-huh. spectrum of the same wand and this is the perfect link isn't it
1: yeah I call it the echo versus the narcissist. So, Narcissist mm. mythologically fell himself fell in love with his own reflection in the water, and he would just sit there and say, "I love you, I love you." And then this water naiad named Echo was under a curse that she could only repeat what other people said. She didn't. Ha- she could not express her own mind. So she caught sight of him looking up. He was talking to his own reflection. And he would say, I love you so much. You're the best thing in the world. And she would repeat, I love you so much. You're the best thing in the world. And that was their relationship. They were both in love with the same man. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we've, I call myself an echo. Mm-hmm. And because Fawner's an echo, same, same.
0: Well, so I think why I call your book—I've put so many on people into this book because it's really like the manual for how to stop fawning. Without saying that, um, because what you call it—you call it the way of integrity, first of all—and <laughs> what I love are these six symptoms you've. essentially identified and organized, which really helps people see how it manifests in the body to lie, to fall into what what you call torture your nature to serve your culture. Uh Can you walk us through these symptoms and how you discovered them in your own body?
1: Yeah, I found them in my own body by looking at them in other people who came to me for help. And the biggest thing that drives people to uh, to, uh, almost to despair It's not what you think. It's not poverty or, um, you know, broken relationships. It is a loss of a sense of purpose. My life doesn't have any meaning for me. Because the moment you give up your own integrity to fawn on another person, you've lost the sense of truth at your core, which contains instructions to living your purpose. So that's the first thing. The moment you step off integrity, which simply means to be whole and intact. It's not like, I'm going to spank you for telling lies. Integrity just means intact. So the very first signal is, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't I don't know what to do with the day. So many people don't know what to do with the day. Oh my gosh. When the pandemic inter, interfered with all our usual schedules, it, it didn't change my day at all because I, I am far too lazy to work ever. I work all day, but I do the things I love and I have a strong sense of purpose. And I realized that without structure, social structure. A lot of people didn't know what to do. So that was huge while I was riding the way of integrity during the pandemic, the first lockdowns. Uh, So that's the first one. Then you start to feel grumpy moods. Your emotions go off. Some people get angry. Some people get depressed. Some people get anxious. Some people do all three. I do all three. What can I say? I'm a woman of many talents. Um, So when your emotions are off kilter, you know Okay, I've lost myself. I'm not doing what I'm meant to do. Not what my integrity tells me. Third thing is, it actually starts manifesting in physical symptoms. This is where you are so amazing. I mean, this is what you do, right? You help people out with this. And most of the, the clients that I've worked with, thousands at this point, need to go back to their bodies before they do anything
0: else. hmm -hmm. And
1: the body responds. I'm sure you know this research, but after people, they did this um, study where they just asked people, "Hey, maybe don't lie so much for a few weeks." They were like, "Okay." No one policed them or anything. Then they had a control group that didn't do that. After three weeks, the people who stopped lying as much had fewer doctor visits. They had better sleep. They had better. um, They had fewer colds. Mm. They had fewer aches and pains. The effect on the body is. Unbelievable, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. So,
1: and I got to the point of violent autoimmune illnesses before I gave in.
0: So what Uh, what did that look like for you? Like, were you simultaneously sick and knowing that's what was happening, or like, where did this link? Okay, what was the moment you awakened to that? Then,
1: okay, so I grew up Mormon. Not knowing I was gay, but knowing I was Mormon, that's yeah. not that's <laughs> not good for one's integrity. Yeah. Um, then I went off to Harvard when I was seventeen, so I really didn't know what to do. It was massive culture shock, and I just pretended to agree with everyone. Mm. So I was torn to shreds in terms of my self presentation being off the line of my integrity. But I didn't know my one moral principle was I must make everybody happy, right? It's the it's the social contract. That's right. So, after a few years of that, I started to get really bad musculoskeletal pain. How do you say
0: that? I think wondered. you're right. Yeah, musculoskeletal pain.
1: Yeah, and joint problems. And I went, I said my hands didn't work. My right knee gave out. I, started, I developed massive back spasms. I ended up in a back brace for years and on crutches and swinging wow. my right leg uselessly. But how old were you? I was 19.
0: Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'd been a marathon runner and everything, but that was over. And so it was really, really, really hard. And it just kept getting worse. And then I was so that nobody could tell what was wrong with me. They eventually diagnosed it as fibromyalgia, which presents Mm -hmm. differently for everyone. But then I started getting diagnosable things. I got interstitial cystitis, which is Mm. the way at your organs. I got a skin lesion called granuloma annulari, which is usually only in diabetics. Um, I got a bunch of things, and they would always tell me it is autoimmune, poorly understood, progressive, and incurable. Yay. (laughs) i remember when i was diagnosed with interstitial cystitis but with a surgery i mean they could tell this was really happening they gave me a pamphlet about coping with this illness and i opened it random to a page and it said and I quote to keep from committing suicide remind yourself of your religious beliefs
0: wow (laughs) amazing amazing
1: it was painful turned out that I just got so exhausted from not being myself that mm-hmm. my body quit, and when I started to find my way back to myself, all of these incurable progressive symptoms went away.
0: Mm. So I just like I just want to pause and feel that I just love I love because I, I wrote down something you had said before: t- the body hates to lie. Well, it hates it, and that's an example of years of lying. And I also wonder. When I, when I hear a lie, I also hear like the undiscovered truth, things that we don't even know are true. Yeah. So, you know, repressed childhood experiences, repressed Completely. desire. I'm sure that was all part Which of your I experience. had.
1: All of them. Yeah. I, I. Anything that you suppress that is your truth, mm-hmm. um, it lodges in your emotions and it lodges in the body. And it, basically your entire system is trying to help you Um, Break away from having betrayed yourself. And I really want to emphasize here that it is not a moral failing. People do not lose their integrity because they are bad. Mm -hmm. They lose their integrity because they're trying so hard to be good. Mm. That's really important.
0: That That's where the fawning comes up for me constantly. Like yes. just how you even introduced it as a biological response. Yeah. That's what's... Uh, there's an innocence to that. And Completely. Right? We start to just stigmatize the shame around it because yeah. we notice the body is doing something we don't even know it's doing that we grew up oh. doing. And then we just think it's us. Like ah. I'm the nice one, right?
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Except in, in my secret moments, I want to hurt mm-hmm. people.
0: I want to <laughs> hurt people. Oh my gosh. I've had sessions with fawners that are just telling me the most Nightmarish, like, oh, you know, nightmare death fantasies <laughs> they have <laughs> <laughs> that just like are so repressed from this like smile that know. we wants to bite. Um, yes. but, but but that's what that's what fascinates me about. That's one thing I love about your coaching so much. I, I had listened to an interview you did on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday about your book. Uh-huh. And you coached her through a somatic experience. You, you're you're a showing her customer too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she is. But you did it, and she was talking about watching a movie with her uh, her partner, Steadman. And mm-hmm. and you were trying to show her that when we are holding up a belief that isn't true for us, it hurts. And yeah. I just wanted to like pause into that around the somatics of truth and the yeah. somatics of lying. Yeah. And for you to share with us what you've learned over the years with that.
1: Oh my gosh. Um, first of all, the more the more strong-willed someone is, the further they can go away from their truth without feeling the pain it causes. Mm. Oprah is one of the strongest people I've ever met in terms of her will, her body, her, her desire to do good, everything. So her whole thing was, it's wrong to fall asleep during a movie because that's someone's life work out there and you need to respect it. And Stedman would doze off. He was tired while they watched movies. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so how do you feel? Well, I'm upset at him and I'm trying to watch the movie and I want it <laughs> Things aren't right? And I was like, all right, so um, does that relax you or does it make mm. you? That's the basic thing. Does it open you up or does it tense you up? And she was like, well, it's tense. And I'm like, well, maybe it's not Stedman. Maybe it's the belief that no one should ever fall asleep during a movie. And then we got to this thing. Of she She also thinks it's wrong to throw out books to the extent that she has pro-apartheid books that were sent to her that she kept. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's like saying, I need my COVID germs. Let me (laughs) put them in the fridge so I can suck on them. (laughs) I was like, oh no, she has that much respect for other people's work. It's just so sweet, but it's, it wasn't helping. So I think she actually did at least for a while, kind of let go of that after I teased her about it. But um, a lot of us break long before she would. And we get this incredible, before we even get sick, what I always tell people is that the Buddha used to say, whatever form... The ocean takes wherever you see it. You can know if it's the ocean because it will always taste of salt. Mm. And wherever you find truth or enlightenment, you will always know it because no matter what it looks like, it will always taste of freedom.
0: Mm.
1: So people think that a a bad mood means that they're going in the wrong direction. But actually, you can be scared spitless, but if you're going in the direction that makes you feel free, that's your integrity. Mm -hmm. So the body... Opens up and relaxes, and everybody does a different kind of personal dance when they start to get in touch with it. And the the tension of lying or fawning like, how did you feel when you were thought thaw- of fawning on that person? It's just mm.
0: tight,
1: weak, paradoxically weak, but tight. And then you say, okay, imagine being with your puppy at the beach and then just like, ah, that's yeah. it. Yeah.
0: Even you, even you doing that, that bracing, it, it just, huh. It helps me understand even more that what's really happening is the body's bracing against its truth coming out. Exactly. Right. That's what fawning and lying really is.
1: And it's fighting you because it wants to be true. The body wants to tell the truth. And that's why lie detectors work. One mm. of the things I do most often, and it's so, it's sort of, you know, a party trick, um, but I just have people hold up their arms like this and then I press them down. And I'm sure you've done this. I have them tell me a truth and a lie. And I show them the difference in their muscle strength. So the truth I have them say is I love fresh air. And the lie I have them say is I love to vomit usually. If it's somebody we've had bulimics who kind of did, but I um, did, yeah. <laughs> you get incredibly weak. And I've had I, I remember working with heroin addicts, active heroin addicts, and we'd do this exercise and they'd hold their hand out and they'd say, I love heroin. And their their bodies went completely weak. Mm. Their bodies didn't want the heroin.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: It blew me away. They got so weak and so tight. And of course, what they wanted the heroin for was to blot out the emotional and physical results of not living their lives, the lives they meant to live.
0: So you literally just answered my question in my head with that sentence, which is really everything we do in our life to cope with pain is we're just yeah. soothing the the body that doesn't feel good lying, essentially. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Or it's connected to its integrity, right?
1: It basically boils down to that. Yeah, so it goes loss of purpose, bad mood. Then you get physical problems. Then you can get addictions because you're trying to medicate the thing um, Mm -hmm. instead of just finding your truth and living it. Uh, Then your career starts to go down the the potty and then your relationships start suffering. So those six things are sort of a progressive, a, a logical progression of symptoms that happen when people don't know who they are and don't dare tell the truth and don't even know sometimes the truth of what they want their lives to be.
0: Even when I hear you say that, I get this visual of, in my language, orienting outward to find security because there isn't a self-relationship built. So uh, I'm wondering for you in your own journey of this integrity work, what was it like to actually start relating to your truth instead Mm -hmm. of your belief that was opposing your true like what was that inner relationship like
1: oh wow i remember when i was 23 and went to japan for the first time and um i was reading this book about japan and at this point meditation was not a thing americans did it was Mm -hmm. very considered very woo-woo and wacky i got this little japanese book i sat down and i got quiet and oh my god louise within five minutes I had a 103 degree fever. My throat had closed to the point I almost couldn't breathe. I'd broken out in a rash. Wow. I was so sick. And it was because I had made the first step toward releasing all the all the pain I'd been keeping inside and I like I was feeling how my body really felt and it was not happy. <laughs> and I remember jumping to my feet and saying, I will never do that again.
0: <laughs> then I went on right. to
1: major in East Asian <laughs> studies and meditate, you know, as the core of my daily practice, um, you know, my
0: Wait, daily practice. so how life. did you go from, I'm never doing that again to then meditating all the time?
1: Well, I went to Asia. Um, I studied Chinese and Japanese and I, I lived there for a year and came back to Harvard to finish my degree there, my undergraduate degree. And I found myself so bewildered by the way Americans acted. And I didn't know that in Asia, I had started to adopt another worldview Mm. because it was so, I was just studying the language and it was just coming in through my pores. I was young. Right. So I wasn't aware, but the western way of looking at the world and at ourselves is that we're born basically a blank slate and then we have to add qualities that make us more perfect you know that's the whole monotheistic god thing you're born a sinner and then you have to become righteous you have to become godlike and it's an upward arrow and you have to work and in asia like the dao jing my favorite book in the world um says uh, in the pursuit of knowledge every day something is added in the pursuit of enlightenment, every day something is dropped.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Less and
1: less do you need to do things until you arrive at non-action. When nothing is done, nothing remains undone. The idea there is that we're born perfect, whole, radiant, um, connected with the love of the universe. And as we grow up, what we learn from trauma or socialization can, it dirties the jewel of the soul. So your job is to clean off the gunk, not to add new qualities, which is a very fawning way of doing it, right? Oh, mm-hmm. the whole monotheistic God in so many traditions is an angry God. Uh, I have to give you praise, and you're going to hurt me if I don't, and maybe even if I do. It's a classic narcissist. You're literally fawning oh. to
0: God. Yeah, I love that.
1: God is a huge narcissist, and we're all supposed to be echoes, right? In Asia, it was, everything is God. Just stop, it just Stop pretending that you don't see that. That's true. Stop. Mm, this, mm. Stop hanging on to what causes you causes you pain. What causes a lack of freedom? And so I started investigating that way, and I began meditating regularly. And as I went in, I it was really frightening. But the pain left me with no other option. I was literally bedridden for almost twelve years, mm, mm. and. What is there to do but meditate? Yeah. yeah. So I learned and what's there to, learn. to
0: lose when you're that at that state.
1: That's what my body gave me. I had nothing to lose. And I went in and realized that uh I was doing all the wrong things in all the wrong ways for my truth. And then my life blew up and then it got really good.
0: <laughs> so okay. So the that place where life blows up. Um mm. again, one thing I loved so much about what I really loved about the book was that. I don't know if it's even willingness. Maybe I I heard that, but the willingness or the 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 readiness that everything's going to fall apart because your life has been built on not being integral. So now that you're coming into your integrity, everything that was uh, let's say depending on the fawn or the lie, yeah, literally dissolves or ruptures from you. Yeah. Rarely do they do people you know actually evolve this place with you. Usually end yeah. up detaching what was that like what did you lose in gaining integrity
1: so the first thing that happened which made it possible for me to do this is not something everybody gets um but then again my um coming into truth was more violent than most people uh experience i was actually in a surgery my body was so sick and i ended up bleeding internally for no particular reason um well actually it was from scar tissue that was inflicted uh, um by being raped when i was five Hmm. So, but I didn't remember it. So I started uh, just, I had immense amounts of pain and uh, internal bleeding. And I was in a surgery where they were, they opened me up to see what the heck was going on. And during the surgery, I opened my eyes and sat up, which is very strange because my eyes were taped shut. I was lying anesthetized on the table And I looked at the surgeons and I watched them operating on me and I was really confused. And then I lay back down and above me, between the surgical lights, another light appeared. And it was about the size of a golf ball, but unspeakably radiant and beautiful. Like we see a trillionth of the available light spectrum. This was like, I could see the whole light spectrum. It was... there's no way to describe why it's so beautiful, but it is. Mm -hmm. And it grew and it filled my body. And as it did, I felt this unbelievable warmth and love and humor and homecoming. And just this, all the pain I'd been in for all those years was gone, emotional Mm -hmm. and
0: physical. Mm -hmm.
1: And basically what it said was, you think you have to die to feel this way, but actually you have to live so that it feels this way. And you're about to go through something really hard, but don't worry, I'm here. I've always been here, I always will be. I woke up from that surgery and I was sobbing. And the first person I saw was this very scruffy janitor who was like cleaning the room. And I opened my eyes and I said, I love you so much. <laughs> 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 I did.
0: I and believe I- that.
1: I was crying and crying and the nurses thought I was upset and I'm like, no, I'm happy. And Okay, whatever. (laughs) And then I wanted to see the anesthesiologist because whatever he gave me, I wanted more, but he came in and talked to me and said, he didn't, there were no such side effects. I finally told him what happened a little bit. And he said that when he, I started to cry when the light Mm -hmm. touched me, my body, Mm -hmm. my Mm -hmm. body was crying. There it is again, the body. Mm -hmm. And the, surgeons thought I was in pain, that I could feel them operating. And they were like, get her under, you know, and the anesthesiologist went to increase the medication. And he said, a voice told him not to do it. It said, she's crying because she's happy. And he Mm. said, he said, I just did it. And he was just like a ghost. He was so scared that he'd messed up and I'd been in pain. So I told him about it and he was like, wow. Um, He told me about the voice and it was, he said, you know how many times this has happened to me in 33 years of practice? And I said, no. Nope. He said, once.
0: <laughs> hmm. Well,
1: But after that, I decided that I had to stop doing anything that did not feel like that light. And in the next months, I left my religion, my family of origin, my job, my industry, academia, um realized that I was gay so that there went my marriage left my home left like when I left my religion because I was raised mormon it meant every friend i had
0: yeah everything gone everything
1: and we were living in utah at the time so people would literally turn their backs as i walked down the street because i was a an apostate and a sinner and um
0: I have a question. Did that light source become the kind of relationship you were building when all these other relationships fell? Did you have support elsewhere? What what, what was like that?
1: The light was it, man. The light was everything. And and one thing about those experiences, I was nowhere near death, but people see that light in near-death experiences. And Mm -hmm. one of the interesting things about them is that memory doesn't work the same way with that particular experience. It never fades. It is right there with you. And so it literally, I had I could not unring that bell. So I would just drive around with my three kids in my van sobbing. I had three little kids and I could barely walk. And um, and I would just remember this moment that I saw the light constantly. I just I retrained my brain to go there before anything else. It was the only thing that mattered to me. Because my life had, had been just a parade of falsehoods. It was nothing. Mm-hmm. And then that light was there and it was everything.
0: Everything. I mean, and I hear you saying it felt a certain. You know, like there was this feeling for the light and anything that opposed that feeling, you just left. Yeah. You walked away from I mean, that's so gorgeous to me.
1: Yeah, I, I can't do that. Like the light would start to, I'd start to pull away from it by even thinking some, something that wasn't mm-hmm. true for me at the deepest mm-hmm. level. And I'd be like, nope. Like... This is awful. Both my parents have passed away, so I can say this. <laughs> okay. No, but I stopped seeing my parents. My father was the one who sexually abused me, and my mother knew about it and, and basically told me I had to protect it because he was I had to protect him because he was a pillar of the Mormon church. He's so one it. of the most important figures in supporting the doctrines of the church as scientifically true, which they are not. But um so I tried, I tried, I kept trying to fawn and I couldn't, I couldn't take my kids into that house. I couldn't stay there. So I just, I kept thinking, I'll get over this. I'll go take care of my parents again. But I I just couldn't. And then after a few weeks, my mother called me and said, "Um, we miss having you here. And uh, I said, (laughs) I miss the concept of having parents. (laughs) Mm. Mm -hmm. We'd never had a good relationship. I mean, I had been really working on it, but, but it was really, it was a terrible, terrible relationship all through my childhood and adolescence. So that was the truth. I missed the concept of having parents to say that to your own mother.
0: You know, who's trying to be
1: nice. It was like the ultimate cultural sin.
0: Yeah, it lights me up though because I, I love the 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 detail of that truth. It's not like I miss my parents. Like I miss the concept of a parent. It's like, yeah. It's just gorgeous. People would,
1: people would ask me things. This is still true. People say, you know, come, can I come over? And I'll be like, wait. <clears throat> well, actually.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so okay, I have to. This is where your book has greatly you know, affected me for the good. Uh-huh is I do a lot of personal practice and teach this difference between capacity and desire I call it. Love so it. there's like the thing you want and then there's the reality of does your body have capacity for the thing you want. Right. So in the last couple of years I've been really practicing it but especially mm-hmm. since reading your book I'm like it's like straight up and this thing will happen where everyone will call me the cancel king because if something <laughs> you're clapping I love for it. me Martha's <laughs> clapping for those of you that are watching this uh and I'll cancel on somebody. And what's interesting is the last four years, I've been really practicing that. Mm. And and it wasn't as in- incredibly um, traumatic as your experience leaving the church. Yet, I found certain friendships were extremely triggered and outraged by me choosing myself. Yes. And others were extremely inspired. And so those who are inspired are now my core my core group ah. of friends, and we kind of build that canceling culture yeah. <laughs> to play on that word together. You know,
1: it weeds out the, the it weeds dark. out, it really it's does. amazing. And the other thing is, when you have a group of friends who don't mind you canceling, they can cancel on you, you can cancel on That's them. right. Never any ill feeling. There's always just, and the reason is that you don't need the other relationship to happen right then because you have yourself and everybody's. Ding, ding,
0: that's that's the I always say if you have yourself everyone else is a bonus exactly, and it's like if you don't yeah. have yourself they're the self that you think you're looking for. Exactly. I love yeah. I have to. Can I share a short story oh, with please, you? Please, please. Because you your story. you awaken something in my in my body that's just so present. When you're talking about that surgery, I was taken back to one of my own surgeries, and um, so I had this intersex expression where my body created ton of estrogen and I grew hips and breasts all throughout elementary school and middle school, which you can imagine in and of itself is traumatizing Uh when you're a little boy growing breasts and confusing all those things. But it was my medicine and it led to all this work I do now. Anyway, I'm 21 and I'm getting top surgery. And I get top surgery, I go home to uh, heal from it. And when you get top surgery, uh, it's different than when you um, are a woman and you're getting your breasts minimized uh, reduction yeah. because they have to put a pressure chest over this wound that's already been created. So you get your breast removed, your nipples are cut, and then there's pr- a pressure just pressing against that extremely tender place for two weeks so it heals flat. So it's the most excruciating pain i ever experienced in my life. And when you were talking about your experience, it brought me there because I remember sitting in that pain thinking, this is all the pain I couldn't feel all these years because I was dissociated Uh, and numb from my chest. All my fawning came from people. I didn't want them to notice my chest. I was trying to be the most charming one in the room. I had a lot of sexual trauma from boys like messing with me because I had breasts. So this place held so much pain that I never actually felt. And I was with it for like three weeks, no medication because I just wanted to let the pain be the medicine. Wow. And it was so profound that my life really started to change from that. So That's I hard. didn't have the, the light experience. I loved your your light experience. What I had was this deep kind of reconnection to a place, even though it hurt. Yeah. And when you were talking earlier about like nature and about integrity, it was an integral experience. The pain wasn't like you said, it wasn't going down the wrong path or something I needed to numb out. It was actually bringing me into it. It was like it was like facilitating me yeah. <clears throat> to connect to yeah. these parts I hadn't never touched before. Oh, that's
1: fascinating. And I've had the same um experience with the surgeries that correct something. Um uh, like I had a foot surgery that kept me um, I had had my foot over my head for eight weeks. Mm. and they gave me you know, they gave me opioids and stuff, and I took one. And then I was like, no. I like my brain loves the feeling of this new arrangement of foot mm. and I'm not going to steal it. I like <laughs> that was an integrity thing. And the, yes. it was weird. The pain actually became something because I knew it was positive. That's the thing about integrity. It will tell you whether a painful experience is building you up or tearing you down. Mm-hmm. And if it, if it's building you up, if it's for your integrity, go head first into it. If it is not in your integrity and it's even a tiny bit uncomfortable, refuse
0: that's I I love that because I always have people asking me you know what's the difference between intuition and fear response yeah I get that right and when you're feel when you have that felt sense like when it's a thought it's really impossible to tell the difference when Mm -hmm. you have that felt sense it's like I know the difference you just know you're with it right sensationally yeah
1: and the sensation which is a physical sensation um of it going the wrong way is not only fear but disgust there's this kind of repulsion there's there's a physical pulling back and and like people pull up their lips you can see the animals saying that smells funny and i'm not going to eat it mm-hmm. you know and then they push through it don't don't push through it if there's even a little bit of yes don't go there but if you're terrified and it says yes be terrified you I know feel fear and do it if you it's, don't then forgive yourself
0: yeah if, it's, it's so gorgeous if you if can. Really
1: glad you did, yeah.
0: So, okay, one thing, we have to close soon. One thing I wanted to just kind of bring in here is this, this year of no lying. Now, yeah. are you still doing, like, tell us about this no lying thing. <laughs> yeah, so after
1: the surgery, uh, where I saw the light, I made a New Year's resolution that I would not lie for a whole calendar year. And I kept the resolution. And that's when everything, all the crap hit the fan. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and I ended up with a completely different life. Um, which was pretty barren for a while, but very clear and clean. And um, at the end of the year, I realized if I were in Nazi Germany hiding Jews in the basement and the the Gestapo asked me if I had Jews in the basement, I would lie and feel moral. So it wasn't about just saying words that weren't true. It was about going into the sense of what is Mm. true in a deep spiritual way and living according to that. But after that, I started doing things called integrity cleanses, where I do like a whole year. And then I did three years. And then when I started writing the book, I went into one that is now six years in. (laughs) And the thing is, because my life is built on what I love, it's not hard.
0: That's so nice. Not at all. That's the piece right there, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the energy you save by not fawning is just oh. amazing.
0: <laughs> I used to get migraines four times a week. Really? <gasps> and the <laughs> as I went into my own kind of self-led integrity cleanse, those migraines just started going, 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 gone. Because that all that bracing and pain of fawning and all the energy, like you just said, expresses. It's so intense.
1: Our greatest ally is suffering. And because it's always trying to lead us home. And as soon as we start going there, it doesn't want to torture us. It wants to be our friend and it will let up. And um, yeah, thank you for teaching people this. I just, I love what you do.
0: I'm just so happy I had this conversation with you. You know, your work is brilliant. Whenever I listen to you, you're so easy to. It's oh, like you're very digestible for me. It's just so oh, easy to you. like osmotically absorb.
1: <laughs> Likewise, I, like, everything you say sounds like my language.
0: Yeah, and I'm not phoning everybody. This is for real. Me not at
1: all. Not a <laughs> you're word allowed or a to.
0: Lie. You're exactly. You're allowed to compliment and not fawn. There's a difference. Um, But thank you so much for your sweet work and presence. And I, I really appreciate your time, Martha.
1: You too, Louise. Keep it up. Thank you and so, you so much you for can. having me.
0: Thank you. Thank. Bye. So that's the end of today's episode. Notice where you feel the episode inside of your body. Those sensations, those expressions. That's how your body speaks to you. Sit with it. Be with it. And let whatever wants to come up, come up. Because all the wisdom you're looking for is right there in those sensations. If you want to go deeper into these practices or find more information about my work, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. I'll see you next time.